0: Hey, good morning and welcome to Wells Branch Community Church. I am so glad that all of you are here joining us live. And if you can do something real quick, real quick, um, go down on the little share button that's right like beneath me or somewhere in my vicinity, but most likely right there. And would you share this with, uh, on your social media? Because it, wouldn't it be fun if someone who isn't engaged with the gospel just randomly came upon it because you shared uh, what we're talking about today? And then I'm now gonna tell you what we're gonna talk about, which is gonna be really fun. Uh, we're talking about money, which you're like, why would you do that? We don't want to ever wanna share the money. That's, that's the one we don't bring friends to. Don't bring friends to the money talk. But I think that's the problem is that we sort of look at um, talking about money as like the the never, ever do that. So I want to invite all of us to have an opportunity to really ask questions about what we're going to be talking about. And specifically, if you have a question about this morning, we're going to keep this number on the screen. And in Pastor Plex podcast, we're going to answer the questions, whatever you have. And, you know, you can go into about as irreverent or irrelevant, either way, uh, as you like, and we'll get those, and I would love to talk to you about more about this talk or anything else you guys want to talk about. Now, talking about money in general makes all preachers everywhere nervous. Like, you could talk about porn. You could talk about, like, any of the worst things in the whole world, but when it comes to talking about money, everyone gets sort of like—in fact, someone right now, look at the people around you, see how many people have their arms folded— yeah, everybody does, right? Because in, just instinctually, when you start talking about money, everyone in, automatically goes into, all right, what you got, preacher? Gonna ask me for more money. And I think that's because there's something dark hearted about us when it comes to uh, how we've seen money used in the past. In fact, a couple years ago, I was talking about money um, to uh, we had a, a Jewish. Jewish atheist, so someone of Jewish descent who's an atheist uh, came over with her sons, uh, with Adrian and me and, and my boys, and we were carving pumpkins with my next door neighbor. And uh, uh, she goes, "Oh, so what are you, you know, you know, what are you talking about tomorrow at your church?" I was like, "Oh man, it's a really hard one talking about giving." And she's like, "What's so hard about that?" And I was like, "Well, you know, Catherine, look, you know, you've seen televangelists and you've seen, you know, kind of like." You know, Christians sometimes when they talk about money, are kind of over the top, and it feels like we're you know, you're just taking money from the poor people and use it to buy your you know gazillion dollar mansions. And she's like, "You guys know you meet in the gym, right?" I'm like, "Yeah." Well, you know, just it's just. She's like, "Nobody is thinking that about your church. Just FYI, nobody is." And I was like, "Okay, that's a good point." She's and then she then she goes, "Listen," and this is where this it was sweet. She was you know friends so. But my Jewish atheist neighbor starts lecturing me. She goes, do you believe in God? I'm like, yes. And she's like, Do your church believe in God? And I'm like, yes. And then you need to tell them to give. Just tell them. I'm like, yeah. why don't you come with me and you tell them? And I think there's just this reality when we talk about God owning everything, we're like, yeah, God owns everything. And then we talk about like being generous, like, yeah, everyone should be generous. But then when it comes to church, everyone's sort of like, it's like, gotta make sure no one's trying to steal my wallet. And I think there's, it gets complicated because of our past and because of what we've grown up with. We resist being God's financial stewards. And I think there's essentially three reasons why we do that. Uh, we resist being God's financial steward because we feel like we've earned it. All right, We would say, listen, um, I appreciate you, Chris, that you want to talk about giving, and that's nice, but this is my money, my brain, my body was working those hours. I didn't see God showing up at 4.30 a.m. on the early shift. No. And then you would say, and I would say, okay, okay, fine, fine. Maybe it's not that you you feel like you've earned it, but you're afraid you're going to run out. And if you're, If you if you're unwise, you would use wisdom words. Like it's unwise to give too much because what happens if we run out? In fact, are there any other talk radio people? Like you listen to talk radio? Anybody do that? Okay, I might be the only one. All right, and every commercial in talk radio world is about. Have you seen the volatility of the stock market? It's unprecedented. There's no way that you are gonna survive unless you have this financial advisor help you, guide you, mentor, and develop you in your money. And and so, um, what it is, sometimes it can be a scare tactic for older people because they're terrified they're gonna run out of money, and then all of a sudden they're gonna have to have their children have to take care of them. I think that there's just this real fear that I'm not gonna be independent, and everybody's got it. Okay, and then finally, finally. We kind of feel like this life is all we have. And so I appreciate that, Chris, that you know, you're know you talking about God and invisible and one day heaven and all that, but I'm not seeing much of an ROI. And, and listen, I think it's pr- probably because you have like your, your five-year-old vision of heaven, like you're watching cartoons and the cartoon character gets crushed and next thing you know, they're an angel playing a harp somewhere on a cloud. And you're like, that is not my idea of a good time. So before I get stuck in the most boring place in the whole world, I'm going to live as much out of life as I possibly can and you're worried about schools, and you're worried about your children, you're worried about finance, and you're worried about stuff, and I might run out, this life's all we have, and I know I've earned, and I think that's where we go. And so this morning, I want us to have a mindset, a proper mindset, a holistic view about God and giving. And specifically, really, not just giving, but being a steward of his resources. To which, uh, this is where, as a non-Christian, you're like, yep, that's where they get you. They make you think it's not your money, and then they tell you to give it away. And uh, my heart for you is you wouldn't see it as, like, this is a, like a big money scheme that we're somehow trying to have a pyramid scheme and get all your friends involved. No, this is really looking, if there's a God of the universe who is invisible, and there's a God of the universe who owns it all, and he's challenging us to do something with it. In fact, um, back to my my story about my my neighbor, Catherine. I'll never forget this. One day I saw her outside and she was all dressed up and I was doing something in the yard. And I go, Catherine, where are you going? She's like, oh, I'm going to a fundraiser. And I go, oh yeah, what, what are you trying to fundraise for? And she's like, um, you wouldn't like what I'm fundraising for. I'm like, oh, come on, I'm, I'm into philanthropy. Like I'm a Christian, this is what we do. We are like philanthropists. And she's like, well... I'm going to the Planned Parenthood fundraiser and I'm like, okay, all right, yeah, I'm not on board. But uh appreciate you sharing that and it just reminded me you give to what you believe in. It just phew, powerful uh just visual for me. So I wanted to go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. So can you open up your Bibles or pull up your device and we're going to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to start at verse 17. And um, if you wouldn't mind, would you pray with me and let's ask God to open up our hearts as he opened up his word that he would infuse us with his wisdom. Father, thank you um, that we can talk about um, challenging topics. Um, And the reason it's challenging, God, it's an idol for a lot of us. Um, Idols are tough. Idols get into a depth of our core of our being and it's an identity issue because we're more identified with what we have than who we are. And so, God, I pray you would press into us and we wouldn't walk away from this message or click away from this message or just simulate, just walk away from this without understanding your deep love for us and how you want us to view material possessions and wealth. We love you, Lord. We trust you. We're asking that you could help us to see ourselves the way you see us. And from there, act like we would act as one who's in your identity. We love you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said amen. Thank you. Okay, so here we are, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's go there. Um, <clears throat> Timothy starts out in, in t- chapter 6, and he's in, or 17, and he's a to talk to rich people. He says, as for the rich in this present age, to which um, you might be hearing this going... Um, I'm not rich. You've got the wrong people. And now you're like off the hook. You're like, oh, okay. He's talking to other people. <clears throat> look, 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 You see, rich, the only way you know you're rich, when you look around, you see people who have less than you, right? That's the way you know. <clears throat> and comparison, as we know, is the thief of joy. And so we live in America. And if you live in America, you're in the upper, you know, I guess maybe 25% of the world. There's nobody richer than us. Now, you guys know we have a missionary in Africa. When you go to Tanzania, you see people who are living like most people do, with dirt floors and dirt houses. Now, they have Internet, they have TV, they have all that stuff. And they just don't have walls. They don't have cars. They do public transportation. The reality is they, you are rich. In fact, here's what I want you to do. Go right now to, you know, you can Google it. and Maybe this might take you too far away from our my message, but somehow have me listening to me at the same time and then Google Am I rich? Just Google that. And then you'll go to about a zillion different surveys that are going to tell you you probably are. And that's going to be depressing because it doesn't feel rich because you know how you feel rich? And this is just true. We want everybody to get by, don't we? We, we? Man, I don't want anybody to be poor. We want everybody to get by. We just want everyone to get by us. And that is the struggle when it comes to money and why we hold on to it so deeply. So, but let's go back for a second, right? As for the rich, so once I've gotten you past the fact that we're talking to you, Like, not this isn't like the message that for your friend who really is wealthy. No, this message is for you. And listen, you want to be rich, right? You're sitting like, I could use a couple extra where I'm living comfortable. So we might as well plan for it now. All right. As for the rich in this present age, charge them. To which everyone's like, yeah, charge them. Those rich people need to pay. No, no, charge them not to be naughty, nor to set their naughty, haughty. That'd be really funny. Don't be naughty. Don't be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Now watch this. Watch this. Here's what's, here's what's hard about this. Is that anytime you start telling somebody how to do something with their money, you have to have authority from somewhere. Well, where's the authority? Remember, I'm, let's go back to um, the Apostle Paul is writing to his protege, Titus, or sorry, Timothy, and, um, and he's he's a pastor, and he's overlooking, overwatching his people, and he's saying, hey, listen, you got some rich people in your congregation. They're like, they're loaded. They got money. You need to tell them. You got to charge them. You got to tell them what to do with their money. Now, uh, pastors do this all the time. I don't know if you guys knew this. Like, when I marry couples, I charge them. It's called the wedding charge to the bride and the groom. I'm like, husband, you got to love your wife like Christ loved the church. Wife, you got to love your husband like the church is supposed to honor, respect, and obey the uh, the Jesus, and so then everyone's like, Ugh, and like that, they freak out over that. And that, but I don't get my authority because from from me in my life, I get the authority from God's word. Same thing here. In fact, watch this. We are Christians are God's stewards of His resources. Twitch, you're gonna say, where does it say that? No, no, listen, right here, Psalm 50. You've heard it where God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Well, just after it says, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. Because I don't need your help. (laughs) For the world and its fullness are mine. Thank you very much. You thought it was yours? No, no. All of that is mine. Okay. Now look. This is where um, I gotta find my backpack. Here it is. Sorry, forgot my backpack. Bring it back over here. All right, my backpack because it's you know back to school, and this is the trusty one we're using. All right. So look, I open up my backpack and I'm gonna pull out my show and tell moment. All right, now this, you're going to be like, thanks, Chris, for the tank. Well, here's the thing about the tank. The tank is great because it's my son's toy. Uh, and you would think that he owns this tank, but he doesn't. In fact, I took the batteries out because I couldn't handle all the noises it makes. And so, therefore, it's a modified tank of no noises. And so, but his job and his responsibility is to take care of his tank and to use his tank. But he doesn't own this tank. He merely manages it. Now, when I was in the military in the Army, I had 21 of these things not crazy, 21 of these things, only they were 10 feet tall and 25 feet long, and they weighed 72 tons. And uh, my inventory that I was responsible for was $85 million worth of equipment. And so what would happen if I mismanaged it? In fact, you want to know what happened. One time, uh, one of my soldiers lost his NODS, which is night optical devices, and we searched high and low because you know who's going to get in trouble for it? Me, because I signed for it. I put my name under the night optical devices, which cost $2,500 a pop. Trust me, I know how much they cost because it was my responsibility. I didn't own it. I simply was a steward. Okay, and you're like, okay, I'll get that. I'll get that. This happens at church. This happens at church. But a lot of people give money to church. We have a budget of like $890,000. And what we do with that money, we have to stand before God. And you're like, well, that's my money. No, that's God's money that he gave to you, that you put it in the hands, the lap of the elders, and the elders make decisions and staff makes decisions based upon how God is leading us. And so we're always, when we are spending money, thinking along the lines of, would God want me to spend this money, God's money, this way? Which you're like, of course you do that, at church. It's like God's money. It's like, and then I'm going to go to you for a second. Because you, Inc., so, you know, Chris Pleckenpole Inc., still has to stand before God as how I manage my money. It's not my money. It's God's money. And I'm a steward of his money and how I spend it and what I do with it, it has to be about his agenda it, to move the kingdom forward. He's charging me not to be haughty. Uh, he, he's charging me uh, not to set my hopes in the wealth that he's letting me manage because I didn't earn it. I just am simply in charge of managing it. And then, and then, watch this. He's going to shift it, right? Because remember, because it's you, Inc. Chris, Inc. So my hope has to be on God. So my hope is, I'm not to place my hope in the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides with everything to enjoy which is good news because I like to enjoy stuff I like going uh, having date nights but that also affords God's agenda for me taking care of my kingdom or ter- taking care of God's kingdom by taking care of my family and I think that's the part where we get stuck we get stuck because we're afraid I think there's part of us that are afraid to enjoy the things that God has given us because because you're like the minimalist and if I actually would have fun with the money that God has entrusted me with I would be a bad manager no no he's he's saying that it's there for you to enjoy it's It's gotta be though purposeful. And so rich people, ready? Here we go, rich people, talking to you. So so God provides everything for us to enjoy. So that the negative thing is don't get haughty, don't put your hope in riches, but on God who richly provides. And then here's the stuff we are to do. They are to do good, which everyone's like, okay, I can do good. To be rich. Hey, I can be rich. No, no, to be rich in good works, to be generous. And ready to share, to which this is the part where everyone starts like looking for the wallet to make sure no one's taking it, because we get uncomfortable because this is the part about giving. I like the part about being rich in good works because you know that ne- isn't necessarily a monetary thing it, it that's where we get just totally, totally uncomfortable but and this is where people say like chris 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 what just bottom line me here? what is generous and ready to share? well listen. Remember, you're a steward. And so that, as a steward, you need to ask God about this. See, stewards manage and enjoy God's unending resources. I get this all the time. Like, Chris, I got it. I got it. Give me the bottom line. How much? And then what usually people say, it's 10%. You're supposed to give 10%. Why? Where is that? Well, it's in the Bible. In the Old Testament, they gave 10%. And usually people will point to a verse like Malachi 3.10. Right? Here it is. Malachi 3.10 says, watch. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Right? Full tithe. There it is. It's the tithe. 10%. Except it's the full tithe. And this is the part where I think a lot of people struggle because they don't understand how God's tithing system works. In fact, if you have a New Living Translation or King James Version or New King James Version, your Bible doesn't say bring the full tithe. Oh, this is an accurate translation. It it says bring all the tithes to which you're like wait a minute there's more than one tithe yeah okay let me let me explain this because i feel like this is the part where the ten percent like you got to give ten percent i i love people who are like hardcore about that but you miss out on the heart of god when you're all about just ten percent watch this right um this is an agricultural world all right so this is my wheat field isn't that an awesome wheat field? And uh, where are my Aggies at? Can, if they are an Aggie, can you post in the chat somewhere say, whoop, whatever you guys say, because you guys are weird. And I, I appreciate your weirdness, by the way. So you're gonna, uh, they whoop it up. And at, at Aggie school, you learned all about Aggie things. Well, in the Bible, in ag- agrarian culture, your wealth was determined by your field. So here's how you did this. So in the Bible, it talked about giving, right? All throughout it. And you talk about giving in terms of produce. So it would look like this. Your first fruits offering came off the very beginning. So, what would happen in uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, 9, and 10, uh, you, or maybe Genesis 18, 14, 21? Anytime anyone had a, uh, a first fruits you would take those first fruits and it was a first fruit of the tree, the first harvest of the crop, and a certain amount of that. So every, literally every first fruit, that's where you get like the first strawberry, the first apple, the first grape, the first whatever you would give that. So out of every tree in your orchard, out of every tree in your land, out of every tree in your patch, every tree in your patch, every strawberry in your patch would go first to God to say, thank you, God, I trust you that there's more coming after this. That's the first fruits offering. Then, Uh, And what percentage that was, it was dependent on on where you're at. But uh, it wasn't a ton, but it was enough. So it was the first fruits is what you felt like you wanted to give back to God and say thanks. And at the same time, there's some mandatory piece of that, like a male lamb, you had to give one of him. And then you also had to give two-tenths of an ephah of flour, which probably would run you about $4.50. But that was in there. Then the next thing was like a mandatory tax, which everyone gets uncomfortable when you talk about taxes. But remember, this is a theocracy, and the theocracy uh, took care um, of—the church and state weren't separate. You didn't go to church and then pay your taxes to the state. It was one. And so the people that were running government programs were also the people that were running church. And so your first 10% went to the Levites. So Numbers 18, 21 through 24 would say, hey, give 10% to the Levites. They're going to take care of all the ministry. They're going to be taking care of the poor. They're going to be taking care of disputes. They're the judges. They're all that. Okay. Then the next ten percent went to national feasts. So um, whenever you would celebrate Passover, the feast of booths, or a feast of weeks, bam—you need ten percent to go for the national feasts kind of stuff. And then finally, every three years, there's another ten percent. Every three years, you'd be given thirty percent. But. Every, t- every three years, 10% to benevolence ministry. It would go to the poor, it would go to uh, the traveler or the sojourner, as they were called. And then uh, also a part of that would go to the Levites who were taking care of all the people that weren't being taken care of. And so right off the bat, you got 23.3%, all right, on average with the, you know, 10% over three years. Right there off the top. So when we talk about ties, which tithes are we talking about? Then the next portion of, of your, what you earned would go to savings and to living, right? You'd save some. All Jewish people were awesome at uh, saving and then living. You would enjoy it. Remember, God didn't give you that money to be miserly with it or to be a minimalist. He gave it to you to enjoy and also to further his kingdom agenda. Remember the... the the, the entire ministry strategy of the Israelites is to be attractive. That when you got to be uh, an Israelite, you're like, "Wow, look at the way that God has blessed you and living." You want to enjoy it, all right? Then finally, this last little bit over here was for the poor and the traveler. You weren't to harvest all the way to the very edge. You were to harvest with margin built in. Leviticus 19 says, "Listen." Don't harvest all over the very edge. you got to have some extra left over, so if a poor person or a traveler is walking by, they can just take an apple off your tree and keep it moving. Now, how much that was was depending on how generous you wanted to be, but it was benevolence program was sort of built in in the fact that you wouldn't harvest right up to the very edge of the road, and that became a way you would serve the poor. so then the question then becomes uh, you know when we look at this, how much are you? Going to give. I, I think just let's just think about this for a second. How much you're gonna give? When you when you think along those lines, it becomes super challenging, right? It's like not just 10%, is it 20%? Is it 30%? Is it 23%? What, how much is the first fruits? And this is the part where you, when you're wanting a number, which you're not understanding, is God's heart behind this. Because this is one of the reasons why I love Malachi 3:10, because the first half our first half of the verse is all about you know, bring the full tithe, bring all the tithes in the storehouse that there may be food in my house says the Lord of hosts now watch this second half of Malachi 3.10 and thereby put me to the test says the Lord of hosts here is where God is saying test me now where else does he say test me nowhere why Because when you're dealing with an invisible kingdom, finances is what makes the invisible visible tangibly. Let me try and explain that. God's wanting us to put him to the test with our faith Because it's the tangible way when I don't use all the money that God has given me for me and I trust to give it back to him for the ministry of forwarding his agenda and to take care of the poor, then all of a sudden it becomes a powerful tool for stretching my faith. Remember, money isn't good or bad. It isn't the root of all evil. It's a root of all kinds of evil. And the reason is uh, a brick is just a tool. It can be used to build a cathedral, but it also can be built or it can be used to throw it uh, through somebody's windows and rob them. Right? That is, there's two ways to use a brick. There's several ways to use money. And if you're using money to feed the idol of your soul, to feed the darkness of your heart, then it's a tool for evil. But if you're using it to advance God's kingdom, to stretch your faith, now it's a tool for good. Thereby put me to the test, of the Lord of Hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now, this need right here is super key, and here's why it's key. When in your Bible, when you read, and you have an ESV, if you're like you know super smarty pants person, you have an ESV like I do, um, you read this and you're like, oh, okay, so that means God's going to give you just enough. Well, no, not exactly the The actual translation of this is, is open the windows of heaven for you. That's 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 literal, and open and pour down for you a blessing until or a blessing without sufficiency. That's the way you translate that literally, and that doesn't translate very well. That's not very inspiring. That's not that just sounds what and you almost have to translate the English, but. Here, here's the way. Let's say if you're at church and there's a zillion people there, you'd say, "Man, there's no small crowd at church today," or uh, it's it's a way of saying there's a, a huge amount of people, and that's that's the kind of idiomatic expression that God is using. He said, "It's not going to be small." And so you automatically know if God is saying, I'm going to open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing that's going to be just barely enough. Does that sound like God? Does that sound like how God works? No. No. I've never seen God. God always provides more than enough. Now, here's the part where everyone gets nervous. They're like, well, does that mean I get a Benz in my driveway? No, that's not what that means. But the blessings. It's going to be spiritual, and it's going to grow your, what's the purpose of this? Faith. That's why he's telling you to test him. Because the reason in Malachi chapter 3, there, God was saying, you are robbing God, and you're also robbing yourself. You ever heard of someone, you're only cheating yourself when you cheat. What he's saying, when if someone's saying that, is like you are missing out on an opportunity to stretch your faith because the growth you're going to get, what you're going to receive is blessing. And sometimes it's material. Sometimes it is. And so then you're like, gosh, Chris, all right, listen, I'm for that. I'm not like, you know, anti-giving. But then, how much? And we're always coming back to that question. You're coming back to the question, how much? And I want to just like stop you there. Remember, this is where I want you to put the Lord to the test. And probably the first test in all this is for you to look at your budget. And you're like, I don't look at my budget because if I look at my budget, there's no way I'm going to be able to pay all the bills and make everything happen. And it makes me nervous. So I just put it on the credit card and I keep moving. And I said, that's part of your problem. Listen, listen, here's what I think, God, if you're a steward and God has, you know, he's given you all the resources he's allocated and all, everything's under your own control. And God is generous. How generous is he? We know God's so generous that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. That's how generous. We're, we're, he's not like a you know, miserly God going to like, Man, I'll give you just enough grace to make. it." No, he gives us amazing grace. You do nothing. You bring absolutely nothing to the table. Jesus pays it all. Okay. So if that's the kind of God we're dealing with and you are a son or you are a daughter of God, you're full air. You have full access. My son has full access to his tank. Now, granted, I did turn the sound off, but maybe when he's responsible enough, I'll, t- I'll teach him about batteries and where the batteries go, and then it won't be so annoying, and he can go blow up all his friends uh, with his sweet play tank, and then we're going to have a, a blast with it. But the reality is some of us are not responsible enough to get full access yet, and he's treating you as a good father would. And so the part of it where it gets awkward is like, how come he's giving more p- other those other people access to more wealth than me? Maybe because he really loves you and he doesn't want you to go down a pa- just a path where you would get into the haughtiness because you couldn't handle it. And God is able to say, you are able or you're not able. Or perhaps he's saying, you are able to handle less. And so you have the faith to do that. And I want to stretch your faith to do even more. So, uh, where do we give? How do you give? So let me just share with you how Adrian and I do this, because I think this becomes like, just give me some practical advice on this. First off, you get alone with God, which I know, again, for a lot of us, it's scary times. you got to actually, you get into your Word, because this is where the Holy Spirit illuminates His Word and you read it, and it has actual meaning, revelation for you. God speaks to you for His, through His Word. And if you're not reading it, this is why you get so angry when you hear these sermons, because you're not engaged with His Word. And so you're automatically, I don't want to hear it. So you engage God in prayer and word, and you go, God, what would you have me give? And you wait, and in the quiet, you look you look at what God has given you, and you don't look at your bills first, you look at God first. And then you say, God, what do you want me to give? And let him tell you. And what I tell people is pick a percent. That's not eight percent, pick a percent. And the, the tithe is a great reference marker. It's a great reference marker. 10% is a great place to start, or it's a great place to like have a, a goal for, or it's a great place to just say, I'm not getting 10%. And if, what happens is, if, you give, if, you're, if a stretch for you is to give 1%, I want you to give 1%. And then slowly over time, ask God if he wants to stretch that, because he's saying, test me in this. And so Adrian and I took him at his word. We started at 11%. We started at 11. When we got married, we started giving 11%. And then from there, we said... Um, Year over year, let's let's see what would happen if we gave one percent more every year. And every year we go back to God. It's like, God, do you want us to still give one percent more this year? Like, double check it because that's a lot more than it was last year. And then God would say, "Do you have the faith?" I said, "I got the faith." Let's do this, and my faith would be stretched, and it would be. He God would be tested, and God would f- be found faithful every single time. Every time. So that even when stuff comes up, like we took uh, my son Titus to the emergency room and we had this weird thing. This is so baffling. He was limping around on his leg. We go to the doctor. The doctor's like, um, it's either nothing or he needs emergency immediate surgery like right now. And we're like, so we had to go to the ER. And after like five hours, I'm sure like $2,500 plus worth of tests later, he's got nothing. I'm like, thanks. Glad I could move the economy of healthcare forward anyway but it's those moments right where you're like god are you going to be faithful and of course he is he provides even for the things that come up like that and so every year we said let's give one percent more because i want my faith to to be grown and if god's telling me to test him that's that's the goal is i have stronger faith all right so I want you to really think about that. I want you to wrestle that. I want you to get with your spouse. I want you to get alone with your budget. I want you to really say, God, how is this going to happen? And there's a faith gap that might happen when God calls you to give more than you think is even possible, and you do it stepping out in faith and being generous with people. Like one of the most beautiful things at our church, we've got community groups, and do you know how many times people have just like given to people in need? Not, Not for the tax deduction but because there's a person in my group whom I love, who God has called me to take care of, and they're like, here's a grand. Here's 500. What do you got, rent this week, this month? I got you covered. And I've seen it happen over and over and over, and I've been overwhelmed by the generosity of people at our church. Uh, last year, when, when our, our missionary, James Meyer, needed a new truck because it broke down, he's in the middle of nowhere, he asked for $30,000 from the church, and we gave him 55. That's the kind of people that you are. And that's why I want this to be something that we plan for, we think about, and let's give generously, because there is reward for this. Look, let's take a look. Look, look. Ver, 1 Timothy six, verse nineteen. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. Look, look, look. storing up treasures for themselves. Where have you heard this? Where have you heard that? Remember Matthew 6? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust and steel you know, can't destroy and thieves cannot steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um. Okay. The story of treasure for themselves is a good foundation for the future. So we're thinking, talking about future, and when you when you read that, you should be thinking eternity, right? Eternity. You have a short period of time here, long-term in eternity. So, th- so that which, that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Because a lot of times, we are not ha- taking part of that which is true life. Okay, so we might, let's go back to school for a second, right? Understand that stewards recognize their greatest reward is in the future. Now, let me pull out... Let's go back to the past so I can talk about the future. Back in the day, um, I collected baseball cards. Like when I was ten years old, and one of my favorite things to do, I put my backpack on and I'd take some cards and I'd go to my buddy Ryan Williams' house. Okay, so this is the way this worked. I go to Ryan Williams' house, and a bunch of my buddies would come up and we'd just talk about. We tell our parents, "Hey, we're going to go trade baseball cards." But what we really do is we take a bunch of cards, we get some cards, and we play blackjack for cards because. You know, that was fun. And so what would happen is I'd have my, um, my Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. Yeah, and it was very exciting. And like, it was like stressful. Like it was very stressful. I put my card out and then um, we deal the cards and it was winner take all blackjack. So if you, um, if you were playing like another guy and like there's four guys playing, whoever had the highest under 21 would win, right? And then what would happen is you'd, you'd have someone play a, a Ken Griffey, someone put their Ken Griffey, uh, somebody would put their Eric Dickerson rookie card, somebody would take their Roger Clemens, 1985 FLIR rookie card. And they put that out there and then you'd play the cards and then you'd win. And then what you would do is you'd take all the cards and you're like, oh, I got to go to the bathroom. And then you'd run to the bathroom and then you'd hide all the cards that you just won because inevitably people want to play it back until they won their cards back. And then then you'd make an excuse of how your mom just called and then you'd go home and you'd take your loot and run because that was important. And if you ever lost, you would tears of shame and anguish and pain and mom would be like, what'd you do? Why are you crying? But like, nothing. It's just so bad. And your whole life was over because you lost your Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. Um, last night I got you know I got these cards out of the attic because that's a great storage place for them. Um, and my wife doesn't want to see them. And uh, so what happened is I, I started like let me see how much some of these cards are worth. And I started looking them up and like I think some people had like my Bo Jackson rookie for like twelve fifty on eBay, and I'm like, I put like hundreds of dollars into these cards. 1250 on eBay. Awesome. And I think that's the problem. And watch, watch this. Because I think there's a lot of us. You would say to a, to a kid who's collecting cards, why are you spending so much money on something you're not going to care about in 20 years? Why? And you would say, listen, you're only going to be a kid for so long. All this stuff's only going to matter for so long. You're, the greater reward is beyond this. And then you'd say, listen, why not invest your money in something that actually is going to be worthwhile when you're older and you can use it? That, I mean, that sounds practical. You're only going to use your house, the stocks, the retirement, the stuff, the car, the rims. In a couple years, they'll be worthless and you're going to be spending way more time on the other side of eternity than you are enjoying your rims and your car and your uh latest tech gadgets. I'm not saying those things are evil. But what I am saying is what happens if we can get so focused on the present that we miss out on the eternal reward that God is looking for us to experience and we're living our lives for stuff that's going to be 1250 on eBay in heaven. And so the question then becomes what am I doing? And that's why I really want to challenge you this morning to ask you this question. Whose money are you managing? Is it your money or is it his money? And the reason why that becomes a great question, because it all goes back to, is God, God? Do you believe in God? Catherine's question, do you believe in God? And if you believe in God, then you believe that He owns you, and the whole wide world is at His disposal. So much so, so much of loving you and relationship with you, He would send His Son Jesus to die on that cross, and to be raised from the dead. And if you put your trust in Him and not in you, you'll have eternal life forever. In fact, um, one of the things we want to do here is I put my cards down for a second make room for things that actually have symbolic of eternal value is um, I want to take some time to go over communion you see Jesus on the night before he was betrayed he took bread and he broke it and then he gave it to his disciples saying this is my body given for you the way your body craves food your soul should crave me I am the sustenance. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Jesus is the word made flesh. And so he went to the cross and had his body broken so that we could have eternal life in him. And we remember that also by the fact that our sins are forgiven. That when Jesus, he got his disciples around, he said, listen, this is my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rode, he ascended, he's coming back, and his blood was shed so that you would have a relationship with him and become a son or daughter of God, have full access to all of God's resources, but trusting him when he gives you more, and even when he gives you less, that knowing he's your father, and he's not stingy, and he uses money, wealth, as a tool to stretch your faith, and to advance his kingdom. And so, as we remember that, as we take communion, the reality is that you've some of you have never like s- taken a step back and just sort of reflect on the fact that God owns it all. And I want to give us an opportunity to do that this morning. So I'm, I'm going to talk to two people first. If you're if you're been, if you've hung in there with me for the last 40 minutes, and <laughs> you are like, um, I, I'm not a Christian. I don't know if I'm into Christianity. I don't know if I can do that. Um and you're talking about money, and I don't even want to go down that road. I'll oh, no, Just stop, stop, stop. I think a lot of times get conf- people get confused about, I'm not a generous person, and so that's just too big of a stretch for me. The gospel isn't about making bad people better. It's about making dead people alive. And once you put your faith and trust in Jesus, he starts to change you from the inside out. He changes the desires of your heart, and he, he makes you more, fall more in love with him. And so the first step for you is to take your trust out of yourself and put it onto him. And if you are a Christian, and you've been walking this thing out, and bills have been getting tight, and you're feeling just, you're looking around, and it feels like everyone else is enjoying the blessing, and you've been left behind, and, and God somehow forgotten, so you need to take care of yours, because nobody else is. Would you just take time to confess that, repent from that, and ask God to transform your heart? He's the God who owns it all. He loves you deeply tenderly and this life is all it is is a place to grow your faith with the tools that god has given you and one of the most useful and the most painful is money so as we go into a time of reflection before we take the lord's supper will you just ask god just open up your heart to reveal for you where you're at with that and what god wants to do in your life let's pray father um Thank you for your word. God, I pray that as we've been challenged this morning to not view ourselves um, as the ones who earned it all, but rather view ourselves as the ones who manage your money. That, that, and that faith that we're experiencing is, uses the tool of money to stretch it, to grow our faith, that we wouldn't just remain babies in Jesus. But Lord, we would just trust you and grow in you and watch ourselves grow. So Lord, I just pray for somebody watching who isn't saved. They would just say, that is so much for me to take in. Uh, Jesus, I confess I have not used my wealth, my money. I haven't done anything really to honor you, but rather I've been trusting in me. Can I trust in what you did on that cross? My soul needs to feed off you, not of my own ability or strength and sufficiency. And so Lord, would, they, would you receive that prayer of someone saying, I give it all to you Jesus and then Father for those of us who've been walking this thing out who've been, been Christians for a while and have kind of got stuck at 10% and never looked back and never thought that might to increase it or even evaluate it but God we would look at you maybe it's if we're, we've never given it all and Lord we just say 10% is such a stretch I couldn't do that and we just fear we're such failures we didn't even have started Lord that somebody might for the very first time just say I'm going to start giving 1% and watch my faith grow And watch how you bless in the ability of watching someone go from immature to mature in their faith and using money as a great tool for that. Lord, as we go into a time of confession and repentance where we sort of bring these things before you, would you just help our hearts to wrestle? Please, God. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So right now, I want you to just take a moment and pause or we'll take 30 seconds just to reflect and repent and confess and we're we'll take communion together.